0: morning and get to open up God's Word with you. Many of you know my wife and I came to know the Lord through the ministry of Calvary Baptist Church and uh, back in, all the way back in the 1900s. So <clears throat> getting, getting old now. Pastor Matt, he, he mentioned we've known each other for 20 plus years. He, he, helped, he, he helped me begin a college ministry at Illinois State back in 2002, 20 years ago. Over, over 20 years ago. Wow. Crazy. And, and uh, Matt and I got to serve here at Calvary on staff. Matt was a youth pastor and I was the collegiate pastor for a time. And, and so we have, my family and I, my wife and I particularly have deep roots here at Calvary. And it is a joy and a, and a privilege and an honor to be with you this morning. Uh, the scripture text that we're going to be in is Luke chapter 10. We're just going to look at the first 20 verses. I said just, (laughs) then I said 20 verses. Um, But that's page 815 in your Pew Bibles. So go ahead and and, uh, take a minute and uh, open up the scriptures to Luke chapter 10, page 815 in your Pew Bible. and, And I'll give you the big idea while you're doing that. You can be on the lookout for this. There's five points today. All right, here we go. There is an urgent need a surprising opportunity, fearful opposition, spiritual authority, and indestructible joy for all appointed with the honor to labor for the kingdom of God. There's an urgent need, surprising opportunity, fearful opposition, spiritual authority, indestructible joy for all appointed with the honor to labor for the kingdom of God. I'll uh, unpack that after we read the text. But I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to the house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages don't go from house to house. When, whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what's set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter, enter a town and they don't receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it'll be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Therese, and woe to you, Bethsaida, if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre or Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it'll be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted in heaven? You will be brought down to Hades." The one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So the 72 go out, 72 come back. Verse 17, they return with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice your names are written in heaven. Amen. Amen. There's an urgent need, surprising opportunity, fearful opposition, spiritual authority, and indestructible joy For all appointed with the honor to labor for the kingdom of God. First of all, there's an urgent need for laborers of the kingdom of God. It says in verse 2, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Oftentimes I hear Christians say, and, and I even think to myself, how the problem of a perceived lack of people coming to, to know Christ and the kingdom of God growing and advancing is with the mission field. The problem is, lies with the, the mission field. People just don't care. People uh, don't want to hear the gospel. People aren't open to the gospel. The problem is with the harvest. And there's truth to that. I've shared the gospel with lots and lots of people Who had no interest in Jesus and no interest in the gospel. I myself was apathetic to the gospel at one time. I myself didn't care about Jesus at one time. But Jesus in this text says the need or the lack is not with the harvest. It's with the number of laborers. There's a need for more laborers. There's not a need for a greater harvest. We don't need a greater harvest. What we need is more laborers, Jesus said. Amen. The harvest is plentiful, brothers and sisters. The problems with the, how few laborers there are. I came face to face with this need for more laborers back in 2021, uh, Pastor... Dan and, and Pastor Matter are, are in a network of pastors that we uh, informally call ourselves the Central Illinois Church Planting Group. All right, we get together, we, got, we started getting together in 2016 uh, at, to, to partner and to pray for more churches planted in small communities around Bloomington Normal. And uh, since we started getting together, we've seen churches planted in Shenoa and Flanagan and Minunk. And every so often, uh, probably once or twice a year, uh, at one of these meetings where we get together and, and encourage one another and, and pray for the work of church planting, what we do is we just we just say, "All right, who's who's got a who's got a place that the Lord's laid on their heart that needs?" you know, for, for a church, a new church to be planted. Who's got a place? And in February of 21, it was one of these, who's got a place? And like all these towns start, you know, people are just saying towns I've never heard of that are like 30 minutes away from us. And I'm like, is that one town or two towns? There's a hyphen there, um, or, you know, is is Low Point Washburn, you know, is that one or two? I, I, I don't know. Uh, and, and and these towns are are all around us. And Every guy but me, because I'm just, I, I didn't have a town. I'm just learning about these towns. And, uh, but everyone had a town. Everyone had a place. So, okay. Then the second question that, that, that is asked at these times is, okay, who's got a guy? Does anyone have a guy? And it was like this. Towns, lots of towns, no guys <laughs> no guys, and so i 'm like now i 've been a part of this group for for five years at that point. This is what we did, but the but it was like the the lord was was given finally after five years gave me a vision, gave me a vision for what we 'd been doing for five years, so if you 're like really slow man I, uh, five years, every six weeks, I went to this small group where this is all we talked about, and it took me five years to be like, "You mean all these places need churches, right?" And 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 man, I I just got a bur- I got a burden because I I, I saw the, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, and 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 so I began to just go out and try to try to recruit. Guys that I knew that were interested in church planting say, hey, you ever think about small town central Illinois? No, (laughs) no, no. And so I I just, I I had this this burden to see a church planted in these small towns. When people think of church planting, most people are often like me. We overlook small towns. We overlook small towns. So many church planting groups and organizations don't don't give consideration to small towns, and this only heightens the urgency. Church planting isn't the only way, though, to labor for the kingdom of God. There's an urgent need for parents who, who know Jesus to disciple their kids. There's an urgent need for Christians to know their neighbors and build relationships with their neighbors and pray for them, and share the hope of Christ with their neighbors. There's an urgent need for Christians to invest in the lives of their co-workers and pray for them. There's an urgent need for Christians to labor for the sake of the kingdom of God in all the different spheres of their lives. There's a, there's a pastor who, named Aaron Morrow who, who wrote a book called Small Town Mission that actually Pastor Dan gifted me. And this is what Aaron Morrow says, said, small towns are in desperate need of missionaries. Desperate need. He says, when I say missionaries, I'm referring to regular people. Talking to Calvary Baptist Church. Small towns desperately need normal, everyday people like farmers, factory workers, teachers, secretaries, and small business owners who think and act like missionaries to reach their friends, neighbors, co-workers, and extended families for Christ. So there's an urgent need. One, because there's an abundant opportunity. There's an abundant opportunity for those who labor for the kingdom of Christ. Jesus said, The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. It's abundant. Jesus is Lord of the harvest. He's the master of the harvest. Nobody knows the harvest better than Jesus. And Jesus, who knows it better than anybody, says it's plentiful. It's huge. It's abundant. If anyone tells you different, don't believe them because the Lord of the harvest says it's plentiful. And because there's such a great opportunity, Jesus says, pray for laborers who would take advantage of the great opportunity that's before us. Pray for laborers. The harvest needs laborers. And consider this, Jesus is sending out 72 laborers when he says this. Now, 72 for any kind of church function or church missions trip. You know, it's like, man, if you had 70, if, if Calvary Baptist was taking a missions trip this summer and you had 72, 72 of you all, I'd be like, holy smokes, that's pretty good. And, and the Lord of the harvest says, this, oh my, we need to pray. This isn't enough. This isn't enough. 72 is not enough. We need to pray for more. We need to pray for more laborers. So once Beth and I felt led to to planting in the small town, so so February 21, I get this burden, and and through the summer and and into the fall, I begin to, you know, I I went from trying to find somebody, trying to find somebody who, who would be interested in planting churches in small towns, to, to really discovering, I I think the Lord's calling me and, and, and my family. And my, my first thought was, my wife and I, we're going to be empty nesters in eight years. My youngest is going to graduate high school in eight years. Uh, maybe at that time, we could, uh, we could plant in one of these small towns that the Lord's given me a burden for, you know, in a 60-mile radius of Bloomington Normal. And so I went to my wife, say, hey, baby, what do you, what do you think— um, in eight years, you know, Liam, all the kids are out of the house. What do you think about planting in one of these small towns? And she was like, that was really hard." You know, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and and well, let's let, let's pray about it. You know, I don't think it has to be the way it was when we were thirty. You know, um, and and uh, and let, let, let's let's pray about it. And she began to wrap her her head and and her heart around that idea, and she's like, "Okay." All right, she's warming up to the idea of in eight years uh, planting a, a new church, and then and then by November that was like September of twenty one. By November, I'm like, yeah, I don't think this is eight years from now, and um, and so thought about okay what's the next best transition time it's like all right we got our oldest graduating from high school in in June of 23 and and that's a good transition time let's look at that and so we begin to pray about that and Beth is on board and and then it becomes okay but where you know there's there, there's there's a hundred of these little towns in a 60 mile radius. What, uh, which, which one? And so we began to reach out to people that we knew in, in some of these towns. So I reached out to friends that we knew. And, uh, and one of my friends that I've known for, for over a decade lives in Metamora. And I called him and said, hey, can we grab lunch? And, and we sat down for lunch and uh, I began to tell him what Beth and I are praying about. And as I'm telling him what, what we're praying about, you know, hey, we're thinking about planting in a, in a small town. What do you, th- tell me about Metamora. And, and, and he does one of these, you know. He's like John. He said, my wife and I have been praying for three years for a church planter to come to Metamora. Wow. What is he doing? He's praying for laborers. He's just faithfully praying to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. And, and uh, he said, we've been praying for three years. And he said, in fact, so my, my friend uh, was an was elder at Grace Presbyterian Church in Peoria. And uh, he said, my wife and I, tra- we, we removed ourselves from membership at Grace Press. And I stepped down as an elder last week because I was convicted that we can't be on mission in Metamora and pastor people in Peoria. We gotta be all in on Metamora. And, and a week later, I'm telling them, hey, I'm thinking about planting in a small town. Can you tell me about Metamora? That's pretty cool. M- my friends, like many Christians in, in Metamora, were com- committed to a church in Peoria. But he, wanted, he and his wife wanted to reach their friends that weren't connected to a church. Right? That's why they were praying for a church planter to come and plant a new church in Metamora that they could join on mission with to reach their friends. Metamora is close to to many other churches if you drive outside of the school district. But the relational web in a small town is often fostered by the school district. Christians will drive to Peoria. Christians will drive to Eureka. Christians will drive to Morton. Christians will drive to Washington. Washington but non-Christians most likely won't. Christians have to drive to them. Jesus doesn't command non-Christians to come to us. Jesus commands us to to go to them. And that's why we plant churches. So brothers and sisters, pray for partners. Pray for partners. Pray for co-laborers. Pray for more church planters. Pray for more gospel-centered pastors who are committed to sharing the gospel and making disciples. Pray for the Lord of the harvest to send you Christian neighbors and Christian co-workers who will partner with you to help you reach your neighbors, to help you reach your co-workers. Lord, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers, co-laborers, because we need co-laborers not just because the harvest is plentiful, but because there's fearful opposition for those who labor for the, se- the, the, the sake of the kingdom. Fearful opposition. Jesus said, Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. The harvest field is plentiful, but it's dangerous. There's wolves seeking to devour the laboring lambs. Ephesians chapter 6 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You've got a scheming devil For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And then he he goes on in verse 16, he says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. You've got the evil one shooting flaming darts at you. As, as, as you seek to, to labor for the kingdom of God. There's spiritual forces of darkness at work seeking to deceive you and discourage you as, as you're sent out by Jesus into his harvest field. They deceive us into believing wrong things about God, wrong things about ourselves, wrong things about others, which in turn discourage us from laboring for the sake of Christ. Two main ways they deceive and discourage us discourage us is through the fear of man and through the fear of failure. Fear of man is when we imagine people as being bigger and more powerful than what they are, and God being smaller and less powerful than what he is. And so we start fearing man more than we fear God. We say and do things for the sake of making people accept us, respect us, and esteem us, rather than saying and doing things for the sake of Christ. Way too often I care more about people respecting and esteeming and accepting me than I do about whether or not they know Jesus. Fear of man discourages us from laboring in God's harvest field. One of the other main ways we're deceived and discouraged is through a fear of failure. We fear that if we attempt something for the sake of Jesus we'll fail, we'll do it wrong, we'll end up messing it up. We'll look foolish, which plays into our fear of man because God forbid we we look foolish in the eyes of somebody. What if I what if I start a a Bible study and nobody comes? What if I what what if they ask questions that I don't know the answer to? What if I what if I pl- move my family to Metamora and it and it just it just doesn't work? What if I put myself out there and I'm rejected? We're afraid of failing more than, more than we're afraid of disobeying God. The fear of man, the fear of failure and rejection, these are powerful things that Satan and the powers of darkness play into in order to deceive and discourage us from laboring for the kingdom of God. To make us think the risk of failure or being rejected or looking foolish isn't worth the reward of obedience to Jesus and helping people get to know him. I know uh, this December after we were like, okay, we're on this... December of 21. We're on this road to church planting now, and, and I begin thinking, like, man, I love I love Karis Community Church. I love Bloomington Normal. I love our house. Uh, I, we love our life in Bloomington Normal, and and now I am directing and leading our family to just removing ourselves from all of that and starting from scratch. And, and when I thought about that, I began to have a deep sense of, of uh, fear of failure, fear of the way I was framing it is, I, Lord, I'm not going to ruin my life and my family's life here, am I? And, and I called a mentor of mine and said, man, I'm a little afraid I'm going to ruin our lives doing this. And he said, he said, brother, you can't ruin, you won't, you can't ruin your life obeying Jesus. You might fail, but you're not going to ruin your life. You might have to work three jobs, but you're not going to ruin your life. Not, not obeying Jesus. Failure's way better than disobeying Jesus. Whenever we, we set out to labor for the sake of Christ, Satan is waiting for you to deceive you and make you think failure is the worst thing that could happen to you. People thinking less of you is the worst thing that could. Satan is there trying to discourage you from laboring for the sake of the kingdom. He's there to discourage, deceive and discourage me. Jesus is sending us out as lambs among wolves. It doesn't seem like a fair fight. How in the world can Jesus send us out as lambs among wolves? Because the Lord of the harvest gives us laboring lambs, spiritual authority over our enemies. Spiritual authority. It says in verse 17, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Can you imagine how these 72 went out as lambs among wolves? Not sure how it was gonna turn out. I hope I don't ruin my life. Right? And then, and then they just, they just follow Jesus. They just do what he commanded them to do. And, and, and they did it. And they witnessed the kingdom of God pushing back the darkness. Even the demons were subject to them in Jesus' name. Jesus had given them authority and protection over the wolves. The wolves didn't hurt the lambs because Jesus had given the lambs authority over the wolves. Jesus has sent you out. He sent me out with the same kind of authority, the same kind of protection for the mission that He sent you on. He sent you on a mission, and He's given you authority. Matthew 28, a verse, if you've been in church for a while, you probably know decently. Jesus came and said to them, All authority, all authority in heaven and on earth, has been given to me. And and with his supreme 100% authority, he's told his disciples to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The one who has all authority in heaven and on earth is with you always. Always. Brothers and sisters, when we come face to face with the wolves of deceit and discouragement, we need to remember that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. 2 Corinthians ten three through five says, for though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive and bring it before King Jesus to obey him. We battle the lies of Satan with the truth of Christ. In May of 22, uh, we got together with two families that were committed to helping us plant in Metamora. And it was the first time we'd all gotten together. And we're in Metamora and uh, we're sitting on my friend's deck there. And uh, there's just, you know, six of us. And um, they begin asking questions about the church plant. And hey, we just start dreaming, basic questions. And all of a sudden I begin to feel a little insecure and anxious for the first time. Up until that moment, man, I was, I was pretty much just, full of faith, like this is what Jesus wants us to do. After my, my buddy said, hey, you're not gonna ruin your life obeying Jesus, I was like, all right, I'm good. And, uh, and so obeying Jesus, and now I'm sitting in Metamora on my buddy's deck talking about the church, and it dawns on me, um, well, I, I begin to think about my life in Bloomington Normal, begin to think about Karis Community Church, begin to think about our friends, our house, our, you know, just everything. And then I begin to think about uh, every resource that we have for the church plant is sitting on that deck. Um, Everyone I know in Metamora is sitting on that deck and two of those people don't even live in Metamora yet. Um, I'm like, Begin to feel my heart beat a little faster and we're driving home that night and I, I tell my wife, I'm like, man, I'm feeling a little... little insecure. She's like, yeah, I'm feeling a little of that too. Went to bed, went to sleep that night. And I woke up in the morning, like panic, like sweat. Like, what have I done? What, what have I, you know, I'd already told Karis I was leaving. I'd already resigned. You know, we'd already, this is like, what, what have I, what have we done? And I just start panicking. You know, for about, for about an hour. It was cold sweats, and, and, um, and, I, and then I, okay, all right. I sit down in front of a, a legal, I get a legal pad out, sit down, just start writing out everything I'm believing in that moment. Every, everything I believe that's making me anxious. You know, and I, I won't tell you, we don't know each other well enough to, to tell you what I wrote down, but I was just, I was just writing stuff down. Every thought I had Thoughts that I'm humiliated to have, have thought. Um, I'm just it and writing it down and looking at it. And then I begin to write out the, the truth about who God is. You know, the, tr- the truth, of the, open up the scriptures. What do the scriptures say about God? What do the scriptures say about me in light of who God is? In, in, in light of what Christ has done, right? Man, I'm, I'm good again. You know why? Because Jesus gave me authority over my enemies, which, which creep up in deceptive, satanic lies about who God is and who I am and who others are. Right? Jesus has given you authority. You, you d- yeah, Satan's going to be throwing fiery darts at you to deceive you and discourage you from living for Jesus but you have authority. You don't have to believe those lies. What you can do instead is one, expose the lies, say, okay, this is the lie. This is what I'm believing. And then you open what God has revealed about himself in the scriptures. And, so, and, you, and you, you bring that, that lie to the authority of Christ. Right? That, God has given us authority. The fifth and final thing this passage tells us about all who are appointed with the honor to labor for the kingdom of God. We've got authority. We've got abundant opportunity. We've got an urgency. But here we've got indestructible joy. We see the disciples come back after witnessing the kingdom of God breaking in. They have to be overwhelmed with excitement. Can you imagine, you know, if you've, the mountaintop experience that these these 72 disciples must have had, all the stories that they must have had. I know how excited I am to share stories about the grace and power of God I see happening. When somebody comes to Christ, when I see someone experience repentance and freedom from sin, when I see someone take a great step of faith, I want to tell those stories. I'm excited. These disciples must have come back amped up And yet Jesus says, it's nothing compared to even a greater joy. Jesus says to the disciples, yeah, you're right. I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. I mean, that must have been something, right? I mean, coming back from that missions trip. Nevertheless, Jesus said, even so, Don't rejoice in that. Don't we want to rejoice in that? Jesus says, don't rejoice in that. There's something better. Don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you. Rejoice your names are written in heaven. Nothing better. Satan falling from the sky is small potatoes compared to your name being written in heaven. Don't find your ultimate joy in what you are doing for God. Find your ultimate joy in what God has done for you. Your works, your ministry, your success in whatever sphere, it's just not enough to sustain your joy, is it? It's not. You know, we've tried it. We've all tried it. It doesn't, it's just not enough. It's sinking sand, as the song says. Your joy and hope will come and go when you're looking to your works. You will feel as depressed and anxious and condemned as often as you feel joyful and hopeful when you're looking to your works. Ah, but when you look to Christ's work, When you look to Christ's work, when you look to to Christ's work of living a perfectly righteous life, dying a sacrificial death, um, raising up, defeating all the, the, the powers of Satan, sin, and death. Why? Because he loves you. That's what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 2.20, right? That Christ loved me and gave himself for me. Christ loved you and gave himself for you. And so, listen, you are forever forgiven. You are um, entirely in Christ. You, like, you are... Um, You are entirely, mysteriously, supernaturally, eternally united to Jesus Christ. And and, and, and because of that, everything that belongs to Christ belongs to you because you are in him. You You are adopted sons of God, sons and daughters of God, because you're in Christ Nothing will ever change that. Nothing will ever change that. You can't fail your way out of Christ. You can't look foolish enough to ever be removed from Christ. You can't blow it so so much that you will ever be outside of Christ. So so don't rejoice. Don't rejoice in this day of success. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that you're in Christ. Rejoice in all that He's done. The the greatest thing about us in this room, right? The, the, The greatest cause for celebration for all of us in this room wasn't because of anything anyone in this room did. It's all because of what one man did, and it just changed our destiny forever, changed our life forever. That's something you can rejoice in today, tomorrow, and for eternity. So just bringing it to a close, our, our core group, Planting Partridge Point Community Church, we've been praying for laborers to join us. We've been praying for laborers to join us. Maybe there's people in Calvary Baptist Church that'll join us in planting Partridge Point Community Church in Metamora. Right? We've been praying for that. So I want to I invite you to consider that. But even if you're not called to join us in planting, would you join us in praying? Would you join us in praying for God to raise up laborers to join us in his harvest field? And lastly, I just want to ask you, do, do, you, know, do you know the indestructible joy of Christ? Are, are you in Christ? Have you put your faith in Christ? Have you been forever forgiven through the blood of Christ? I want to invite you to do that today, and, and here's the incredible thing. The day that you become uh, a Christian, the day you put your faith in Jesus, you are as in Christ as you'll ever be. You are as much of a Christian as you'll ever be. You are as forgiven as you're, you'll ever be. You are as um, positionally holy and righteous before God as you'll ever be. The, 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 the day you put your faith in Christ. You'll be as much of a Christian as anyone in this, in this room. So I want to invite you to do that today if you haven't. Let me pray. God, thank you for the Bible the privilege of getting to open it with brothers and sisters in the family of God this morning. Hear the words of Jesus um, hear the, and, and experience the Holy Spirit. Apply it fresh to our ears and to our hearts. God, I pray we'd be um, joyfully submitted laborers, for your kingdom. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.